Welcome to the Lean Blog Podcast. Visit our website at www.leanblog.org. Now, here's your host, Mark Graben. Hi, this is Mark Graben. Welcome to episode 308 of the podcast. It is June 11th, 2018. Joining me today for the third time is Mike Grogan. He was a guest back in 2013 in episode 182. He was in Tanzania doing some lean healthcare work there. And he was also a guest in episode 224 in 2015. Well, Mike now lives in the Philippines. He's from Ireland originally, as you, you'll be able to tell from uh, his accent. He's worked in the, the U.S. and uh, has been in the Philippines for a little while now where he's been helping and coaching people there. He's written a new book called The Messy Way. And you can find links to all of that and an introductory video, a short video that Mike made for the Lean Blog audience, you can find that at leanblog.org slash 308. So in this episode, we talk about the idea of personal lean, as Mike calls it. How can you be the best version of yourself? I, I, I appreciate his reflections and honesty. I think we had a really interesting and thought-provoking conversation. There are you know, some important and sometimes difficult questions. Uh, what are your fears? What have some of your failures been? What have you learned about yourself in the last 12 months? What is a thinking partner, as Mike calls it? Those are just a few of the things that we discuss in this episode. You can connect with Mike through his website at mikegrogan.ph. And again, you can go to leanblog.org slash 308 for links to everything that we mentioned there. Thanks for listening. Mike, hi. Thank you for joining us again on the podcast. How are you today? Absolutely fantastic. It's a blessing. Is it my third time? Third it time, is. Mark? Wow. I, I joined the Lucky Tree Club. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, we talked in, uh, in 2013. You were in uh, Africa. We talked in uh, 2015. And now you're coming to us uh, live from the Philippines. And you know, I think uh, it probably served the audience uh, well here. If you can um, introduce yourself uh, a bit, and you know, I, I don't know if everyone has heard the older episodes. So if you can you know, introduce yourself and maybe talk a little bit for those of you who did hear earlier podcasts, you'll maybe kind of weave into the story, um, your transition to the Philippines. Yep. Um, well, my name is Mike Grogan. I have been I'm a, a Lean Kaizen coach, consultant, uh, thinker, student, and I've been in the Philippines for the last three years. And before that, I worked in Africa for two years. And before that, in the U.S., in Pennsylvania. And then before that, in the U.K. And then my, my whole land of origin is Ireland. So I have been, uh, I guess, gone through 40 different countries. Um, but in terms of one of the reasons why I'm doing this call, Lean Kaizen totally changed my life best training I've ever got, open up my mind, and not just professionally, but um, in my personal life, seen it, apply that philosophy. It's really helped me um, make significant changes in my life. So I'm a fanatical student of it, and uh, I, I'm passionate about sharing that message with others. And I guess I've, in my passion to help others, I've made so much mistakes in many different countries. And uh, I guess one of the purposes of this call is to share some of those mistakes with you guys. And I want people to avoid these mistakes because uh, this thing we call lean or Kaizen, whatever name we put on it, it's special. It, it can save lives. I mean that mm -hmm. not to 
be dramatic, but it really can. I know, Mark, you, you believe this with all your heart. This can save lives. This can change people. This can save people. Um, yeah, so I, I'm passionate about sharing in, this, in our short podcast together about things we can avoid. Um, perhaps I might offend people on this call, so maybe that's a warning because I know 30% of people are not ready to hear this message. Um, but I'm going to be open with my, some of my, my learnings and uh, things I wish I'd done differently. And especially, I guess the focus will be is the personally, personal Kaizen. I think a lot of my mistakes as an as a influencer go back to me not being looking in the mirror and not seeing, not happy with what I looked, uh, what I saw back at me. <laughs> yeah. I'm not talking physical appearances, <laughs> but yeah. maybe a bit there, but mainly in terms of I wasn't living the examples that my words were saying. So yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm happy to share some of those stories. And I appreciate you sharing that. And I think it's a powerful message. Talk about the idea of, you know, continually studying lean. I like the, I like the term practicing lean, which is why a number of us did that book uh, of that title, which shared, like you said, mistakes, reflections, lessons learned. Uh, I think that's really powerful as opposed to saying, I'm an expert. I know it all. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I think I've, the more I learn about this, the more humble I guess. So it's, it's, uh, it's stripping off the titles. I, of course, uh, <laughs> for marketing, you know, whether it be in, in it within internally with the company or if you're at a consultant, typically we type, we play with words called, you know, like coach, consultants, or even expert. Mm-hmm. But I, when I get face to face with a manager for the first time, uh, they're the first labels I strip off. <laughs> yeah. If you visualize me ripping off these labels on my chest, and um, because each label there's a danger. There's both positives, but there's a big negative danger that's associated. And I tell people this, I'm not smarter than you. I'm not better than you. Um, I'm, a, I'm, a light, I'm a student. I'm, a, I'm around the same boat. And I just tell them that what's really helped me is using the term thinking partner. Maybe that's my first uh, value bomb from this call is, yeah. is when you're developing that relationship with those folks that you're trying to influence. Uh, that terminology has been really accepting with the folks that I've engaged with using thinking partner. Yeah. And that, that's really helped with the, the empathy, trust building and the, the sharing that they're not going to get it preached, preached upon by some, some uh, guy who thinks he's better than them. And, and I think that's in that first meeting with your, um, that your targets that you're trying to influence. That's so important to get that message across. Yeah. Well, I, I love that phrase um, thinking partner yeah, it's a, the Lean Enterprise Institute uses uh, the phrase "learning partners." They, you know, mm, I like that. Organizations that they're uh, out in the field with. Um, you know, it's funny. Yeah, those those labels, whether it's you know cringe at um, you know terms like expert, sensei. Um, Eric Reese from the Lean Startup Movement always uh, cites Peter Drucker. There's a funny line about uh, people call me a guru because they can't spell charlatan. <laughs> yeah which uh i think yeah that's I mean, it's, it's, these are dangerous yeah they really are da- it's, it's especially when you get one-on-one at the one-on-one level or when you're in front of a classroom uh i i the, at my heart of what i'm trying to do in the and i guess i'll talk i guess i didn't mention that in my intro but i have kind of did a spin-off project outside of lean in in the philippines here and it's uplifting Filipinos, um, getting them to believe in themselves, believe in their country, and create a first world country in, in our lifetime. 
So I've been overwhelmed with the response from that initiative. It's over, we have over 50 million views of our videos here. And it, it really goes back into that lean is, you know, one of the first steps of lean is empathy. And uh, to, to never come across that you're some sort of know-it-all. And uh, I'm trying to get, that's some, a journey that I've been trying to get better and better at every day. So it's, it's driven me to, how can I become a better role model? It really is. It's not, how can I use better words? I've focused more the last years on how can I act better in my private life, especially when uh, no one sees me, um, yeah. those private hours. Now, um, before you talk more about you know, some of your thoughts and reflections here on, on the topic of journey, you know, when we talked in 2013, um, you were working in Tanzania. Um, we did you know, an interview with yourself and, and Dr. Brenda you were working with there. Can you, can you talk a little bit about, um, you know, your own personal journey of, of moving from Africa to, to the Philippines? How was how Dr. Brenda doing? How are their um, initiatives at their, um, at their healthcare center? Yeah. Um, well, I'm extremely proud of them. The, when people ask me the proudest moments of my career, my answer is Dr. Brenda. And uh, I am just so, so proud of her and how she has embraced the philosophy that we, we call Lee. Um, I, I really, I think we, we've learned a, one of my mistakes in my first year there. So I guess the, the background was uh, I quit my, my comfort job in the U.S. and I worked for this disability hospital and this small little hospital in Africa for two years, Tanzania, Dar es Salaam. And it was the two toughest years of my life, but yet the two greatest years for personal growth. And I feel we planted in that organization the seeds of Lee, which are still growing today. I'm so thankful that they had, after me, they found another Lean coach to help them on the journey, but that the managers uh, did get infected. And the CEO got infected <laughs> to use the, 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 in a positive way. I know that word is sometimes used negatively, but they, they yeah, they achieved some great things with Lean. And uh, yeah, I'm extremely, uh, but uh, the, the example that I'm most proud of is uh, this one doctor. Her name is Dr. Brenda DeMello and how she uh, fundamentally shifted her own philosophy on management and leadership. And uh, I, mean, I just, to play a small part in her journey, she would have got there without us, Mark, <laughs> without uh, influencers like us. I know she'd have got there. But to know uh, you played a part in our journey to get there a bit faster. Um, yeah, that's a great honor. So it's still, it warms my heart when I think of, and I think of that place every, every week, actually, it goes through my mind. Um, amazing time there. And someone asked me recently the, the, one of the best moves, decisions I made in my career. And I joked about to leave the U.S. <laughs> and I, and they, I think they misinterpreted it. And it wasn't, I love America. I, I did quit my job, but it was actually more of me stepping out of my comfort zone. Because sure. when I lived in America and Europe, it was, I was in my comfort zone. So it wasn't uh, anti-American or anti-European. It's sure. more of my, uh, I'm so grateful I took that leap. And it's given me the foundation to what I do today in the Philippines. So it's, it's great to hear that it sounds like the lean journey continues with Dr. Brenda and, and their new coach. And I'm sure, I mean, we're, we're talking over the internet and I'm, I'm sure, you know, with technology, the way it is, you're, you're keeping in touch with them. But so what, what, what led to um, your, your move to the Philippines of all the countries in the world and all the places you've been and how, how did you end up there? 
Yeah, um, that's a great question. I, <laughs> I, I've been to, in my travels about 40 countries um, and I've always wanted to live in Asia, experience Asia for uh, a period of time. And I thought I would start in the Philippines. And the primary reason is that I think you can testify that in every country I've been to, I've met Filipinos. And they're in every country in the world. I, don't, I can't think of an exception where you can't find a Filipino. Yeah. And I, I wow, I, I was just got a very positive first impression from these people. Um, kindness, friendliness, um, fun. I thought, you know what, L let me start this Asia journey of mine in the Philippines mm -hmm. and I'll test it for one month. And if I don't like it, it's okay. I'll move <laughs> to the next Asian country. Sure. But maybe I just found an invisible force here that says, you know, Michael, this is where you need to be. And number one, this is where you're going to become the best version of yourself. This is the, where your journey is going to be accelerated the most. And number two, Michael, this is where you can add the most value. And I, I really believe in the last three years that's proven to be true. And not that I'm, I've reached a summit, whatever you want to call that, but uh, this country brings out the best in me. This people, um, there's just so much potential. And I, I just want to help them see that potential. They'll get there without me. Yeah. Um, but just like Dr. Brenda, maybe I can get them there even faster so that we can even help more people along the way. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that's I mean, a lot of what you said there. We're going to talk here about, you know, your thoughts on personal lean. But, you know, I think a lot of times we're trying to help inspire organizations to be the best version of themselves as opposed to um, just copying uh, Toyota or just copying some health system. I mean, I, I'm guessing in, in the practice of, of personal lean, it's not about Mike Grogan copying somebody else. You're, you're trying to become, like you said, the best version of yourself. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. And it's great to get inspired by other people to, you know, steal different techniques and different things. But it's really like, once again, my, my greatest fear that drives me, and I, I, should, I don't maybe share this often, but it's I guess it's my, my, not death, I don't fear death, but I fear uh, what happens after that. Because regardless of spiritual beliefs, I, I do believe, uh, I know people have different opinions of this, but I'm going to be met by the force that created me, whatever name you call that, I call it God. Um, and he's going to say, okay, Mike, let's see, here's what's your potential. Mm. And he's going to put up a projector, I don't know, here's uh, what you could have been, and versus here's what you you turn out to be. Uh, I think that my greatest fear is there's a huge gap. Mm. Uh, what I could have been, the man I could have been, the, the influence I could have made others, the, the people I could have saved in terms of not, not, uh, like from, from abuse, um, this, um, the people that I, uh, that I could have you know, brought back from the brink of, um, I'm, I'm, I'm going to use extreme examples here, but I think it's to wake up, but like suicide, people that are, are going to give up and everything I could have. So this drives me uh, and it's not, I'm not a kind of like Messiah. <laughs> I'm very critical of myself. I'm not some sort of trying to save the world, but I'm just trying, I'm totally driven by to close that gap. And yeah. that between, and I'm, I don't, a part of me is too crazy to the point where I don't care if, uh, if people don't understand it, including my own family. And I'm willing to share some of my own struggles here, but if my mom, I, I want my mom to approve what I'm doing, but if she doesn't at the same time, I'm not going to let uh, her opinion hold me back from what I'm doing here. Yeah. So it, it's to come to a really healthy place where um, 
and I had to go through because I had to experience a lot of haters in, in recent years. And, that, and it actually was such a health, helpful process for me to come out of that and go, you know what? I don't care. I, I, I know only God can judge me. And I, I just, I, and I know that is my, I want to be driven by good to help other people. And as long as I'm not hurting other people, there's, uh, I want to help others do the same. Yeah, well, I mean, there's always a risk. You put yourself out there through videos like you're doing and, and books like you've done, or, you know, I, I appreciate it from, you know, books, podcasts, blogging, you put yourself out there. Um, I, and, I, and, you know, you, you run across, there, there's a difference between people who disagree and then quote unquote, like I say, you know, haters to use that term. They're, they just, they just don't like you <laughs> or they just, uh, and, and that, that that's going to happen. And, um, yeah, that's just, uh, I, I, we all yeah, run across I that, I think. People, I'm, I'm, I'm sure you got some, uh, <laughs> I think, I'm sure you're talking from a place where you can relate to this. You know, at any time, it really is, and history's evidence is, any time you try and speak up or you try and go into this public arena, you're going to have uh, yeah, people come out and just say hurtful things. And it took me, it was, took me a while to, to process this. Now I'm in a really good place. So I'm, I'm actually yeah. so thankful for these so-called haters. <laughs> Yeah, I mean the worst. The worst thing I ever heard was, and a lot of this, you know, sometimes it's, it's quote unquote haters uh, toward toward lean, you know. But I had you know some people that um, for a while they've stopped this now, but for a while they were really loud and noisy about how I was killing people because I was teaching manufacturing methods to healthcare, which is just an appalling accusation, and uh, you know, I think the furthest thing from the truth. And so mm. uh, that, that's. Um, so anyway, my, my experience is that, but, um, but you know, to talk about personal lean, I think it's interesting, you know, the way you frame a gap. I mean, you hear Toyota and lean organizations talk about this, the gap between what actually is and what could be or what should be. So maybe yeah. can, you know, can you build on that and, and talk about how you define the idea of personal lean and, and what are the, some what are some of the lessons you've learned from working with organizations? How, how would you frame that practice of, of personal lean? Well, the examples I like to, I would like to focus on my, my own examples in terms of the younger version of me, uh, because if I don't use my own examples, people, more and more people will get offended what I'm going to say. And this is just coming from a place of pain and a place of, place of love to, to get people to move forward. And that is the, to end the hypocrisy. And there's so much hypocrisy in when we come to influencing others. Um, and we see it in every type of institution, from education to religious to uh, business excellence. Um, there's just so much hypocrisy where people are saying things about excellence or high performance but their own private life is not, is hip, it's not living up to that. Mm. And I'm just going to share my own examples. When I started, uh, I was a fanatic. I started off in the Six Sigma world, got the black belt, etc. Then I got get my, my uh, feet wet by Deming, then had Toyota Sensei's coach me. Coach me. And I, I was just so excited with all this uh, knowledge I was learning. And I was just started my coaching career early but I was I mean maybe I yes there's a part of me that's harsh on myself but I, I'm intentionally harsh on myself here I felt short many many times because I was not um a living example of, of personally and people see that and this 
we can jump to examples that people can relate to well, parenting people you know parenting it's not a, your words as a parent the words you say to your child are just a small part of the influence the greatest influence is your consistent daily actions and uh, i think one of the advice that really helped me was from the ceo of that hospital in africa in the first few months of me being there he used a religious example that many people, I believe, can relate to, even if you're not part of a religious organization. But he said, Mike, you're like the priest here. You're like the pastor here. <laughs> you're teaching us all excellence um, in the workplace. But yes, there's many times where you don't live up to your own standards. Mm. And I was shocked. And he goes, well, Mike, we noticed this. Of all the people, it's you that we notice, for example, when you're late or when you and don't keep your promises with your time when you don't uh, do certain things, when your emails, when you're slow at responding to emails. Uh, we see this because you notice when the, 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 whether your village, your, your village pastor, your village priest, or your village rabbi, you notice when they're not living up to the standard. And uh, yeah, it was a huge wake up to call to me. Wait a second, Michael, you know, staring at myself in the mirror. I was not. There's so much more that I need to do. My, my private victories um, were not aligned to the, the public victories that I was looking for. So that became, uh, and, and then I started studying fanatically about it and I realizing that oh, so much of the teachings from the Bible, from all these wisdom literature, really just point to becoming a better version of yourself. And I was passionate about how could I become that better version and I guess that led me to writing the book. Um, it's called The Messy Way, um, focused on you know, how can help people make uh, better decisions in their life, you know, whether changing their health, emotional, physical. Um, yeah, I, I really became addicted to that space. And so I, I think that's focusing on becoming a better version of me has significantly tenfold my influence on other people. So I, I want to help people that if, if you are a manager uh, and you're trying to influence your team or you are uh, a coach or a consultant, whatever that title you're using, to influence different people, um, your words are only a tiny percent. And I'm going to make a bold statement without any data to back me up here, but <laughs> I would say the words are less than 10%. Um, and it's your actions, consistent actions, especially if we're talking about changing hearts here, not just about transferring a skill it, Here's how do you do A, B, and C, but I'm talking changing someone's philosophy on, on problem solving, which that's what Lean does. It changes philosophy on how you see the world, not just a, on how to use a fishbone tool, but how, and actually how you see the world. If, if that's the objectives you're looking for, then yeah, your daily actions, what you do consistently, what you do in private, that's, that's a huge influence on your students. So I'm trying to, yeah, I, I, I'm just passionate about helping people um, accelerate their leadership by becoming better role models. Yeah. So let's say if you're, let's say, you know, if I'm a manager in an organization and, you know, I'm asking you a really open-ended question, asking for coaching, you know, how, how can I be a better leader? What, what process can I go through to identify gaps or, you know, how can I be self-reflective to become a better leader instead of, you know, a lot of times leadership books are saying, you know, do these 20 things and you're a great leader, which sounds like copying lean tools, perhaps. Um, yeah. what, what kind of process either, you know, did, did you go through to, to become a better leader or what process would you take someone else through? 
Absolutely. Number one for me, I love this question, Mark. Uh, absolute number one is self-awareness. Wow, uh, how much I would love for the world to have more self-awareness. Um, even me, there's far more um, leaps I need to take on my journey. But there's so many people unhappy, so many people in relationships they don't want, in jobs they don't want. In, they're doing things to make other people happy and they don't realize it. And I think regrets is such a poison. In, uh, and, I, and I really believe that 95% of people you know, on their deathbed, you have those vulnerable conversations when they're close to death and they're going to share some massive regrets of what they, they did or usually what they didn't do in their lifetime. Or, or, and I, that's a great fear for me to have this, what I call poison in my system called, and the, what we call regrets. And so I'm trying to massively promote self-awareness. Mm-hmm. So the greatest joy I get from when I start, in, and I'm actually tomorrow morning, uh, well, in a few hours from after this call, I'm going to, uh, my first engagement with a client, and I just signed a 30-day contract. The first thing I'm going to do, they give me 40 of their team. Um, for The first thing is self-awareness. I mm. want to help these practice. Um, and the, here's, I'll actually break it down. I'll give you my first question I ask them. This is the best self-awareness question I've ever heard. I have yet to see, see a better question than this. But I give them 15 minutes to answer this question, sometimes 20 minutes. I tell them, write down the 10 lessons that you learned about yourself in the last 12 months. Mm. So it's, it's such, that totally shocks them because they're expecting some guy to come in and teach or preach about whatever, <laughs> whatever from the, whatever they heard about lean or Kaizen. And I get them to practice this thing on themselves first. And they, they, I'm not exaggerating here. I had a class uh, about two weeks ago. Um, and when we did this, about 80% of the people had tears in their eyes. And this is not at a, it was a, that was one of the exercises. We did a series of exercises like this where they're actually looking in the mirror for the first time, just look, checking in on their calendar, checking in on how they're spending their time, comparing what they value the most, and are coming with this heartbreaking realization, oh no, I'm, this is not how I want my life to be. Um, and I have people sharing, like re- reconciling with their sister that they haven't spoke to for three years or, or forgiving their father for abuse in their, their childhood. These are extraordinary stories people share with me. And, and, but I just want to bring, it's not me telling them what to do. It's guiding them um, and leading by, like before they answer these questions, I always share with them my, some of my answers to those questions. So they have context and that. And they know that I'm not a hypocrite. I would never ask them to do something that I've never done myself. But self-awareness, getting them to, it's like if you want to, if we use the word lean or Kaizen, it's getting them to fall in love with this thing mm-hmm. by seeing the benefits, not on the work, not first on the workplace, but in their personal lives. Yeah. So getting into, and, and that could be also in, um, in conflicts at work. Like I, I get them to, one of the actions I get them to do is you get feedback from other people. Um, it, it's just the, the self-awareness thing is, is a huge. So any folk, folks who are trying to improve leadership skills, how can you get practice people to increase their self-awareness? Even just by one or two steps, it can make a huge impact and it can be help you, you know, build that momentum to continue the lean journey. So, um, Maybe people listening, if, if they're doing so, uh, a lot of times people listen in their car while they're out walk, walking, this isn't practical, but um, I'm curious if, if people will feel inspired to 
hit pause on the podcast and write down some of those things and, and reflect on that. Um, I invite people if you, you, you can even share some of these anonymously if you want to post a comment on the blog page for this episode. Um, and it's just something I'll give thought to and, and maybe share um, some reflections as well. I mean, is this a, a question? Is this something you ask yourself? Do you revisit this question every Absolutely. It's, or so? I, I try and do a daily check-in in the morning. I, I do my gratitude, three things I'm grateful for, uh, three things will make today great. And in the end, I reflect on three amazing things that happened today and, and three things I, I could have done differently. So I, I do my daily check-ins at the beginning and end of day. I try and do it around sunset and sunrise. That's very important times for me because I can get the reminder from nature of how small my problems are compared mm, to the big yeah. messing of, of Earth. And then on, on Sunday, I spend an intentional alone time looking at my, going through these questions. And like, this is the truth. Um, Sunday, which was two days ago, I asked myself, oh, no, it was yesterday. <laughs> Sorry. Um, I asked myself the question, you know, what am I willing to suffer for? Um, because we don't talk about this enough. We, we, you know, we talk about great goals. And we can use business examples here. We want to you know, transform our team, double, uh, double the size of our hospital, whatever the aggressive goal is. Not enough people are talking about suffering. Uh, and we should be talking about suffering because suffering for, uh, for a, a purpose that's bigger than you is a beautiful thing. And we need to ask questions of, I really believe that the number one reason people don't achieve great things in life is they're not willing to suffer for it. They're not, not willing to write down the list of things that I'm willing to say no to, the loneliness that I'm going to um, accept, the things, the rejection, the, all the pay, all the stuff that comes with the journey to greatness. Um, so I'm just trying to create self, um, more great self-awareness for me and checking in with me, um, myself, and going, yes, I'm, am I willing to do this? And, uh, and just have that self, private self-check-in. So it's helpful that, that um, and I try and intentionally every Sunday to, in different ways, ask myself different questions to, to number one, increase my self-awareness so that I can become better. So what, you know, when you talk about getting better and um, reflecting on the younger version of yourself, I mean, again, like, I think beyond the personal realm, it's interesting maybe for an organization to reflect on the younger version um, of itself and, and trying to become the best version of yourself. I mean, can you share some stories? You, you, know, you said you, you know, appreciate you're willing to share some quote unquote failures or, or lessons learned um, you know, when you were starting off uh, as, as a lean coach. The, I, I guess teaching about uh, how to make things better when you're not able to answer that question in your own private life. How are you making your own life better? Um, I think I've significantly been able to 10x, if not 100x my influence because I, I've reduced that hypocrisy in my own words and in my own life. Um, I, I'm not coming across, I, yeah, some people, I know 30% of people listening to this won't like me anyway, so I'm okay with that. I, I'm uh, I'm, tr I'm trying to look in myself and see that where am I being, here's the questions I ask myself, where am I being selfish? Um, where am I being foolish? Mm. Where am I being undisciplined, lazy? I, I use very dramatic terms of myself and it's not that I hate myself. <laughs> it's not coming across that way. It's that 
I'm fighting against myself daily. And I want to share with audiences that that's, that's a reality, that, that this is not a guy, a guru or whatever you want to label you put on. This is a, a guy that's broken, but he's willing to share his stories of how he, and so I think that's a key thing in developing coaching relationships with others and that I didn't do at the beginning of my career because I, I, I didn't have that level of self-awareness. But now I openly, and I'll go in, at, and I think I have a lot of influence. I have a, a lot of potential influence as well over young men. Um, uh, maybe they look up to me as, I don't know, an older brother figure uh, or, you, or, you, or maybe a cool uncle. <laughs> uh, that's not going to last forever eventually. <laughs> uh, but, you know, there's that, that rule of seven years below you, seven years above you, that you where you have most of your influence. Mm. Um, not, not trying to be disrespectful or ageist, mm-hmm. but I, when I'm go- going to a group of young men, uh, I'll use high school. I'll even use a non, um, I'll use high school because I do a lot of speaking. Um, they see me, they're like, okay, what is this guy got to say? How would he connect with us like a 17 year old? I am so vulnerable to them. I totally share my faults with them in the first five minutes. And I I open up and say, listen, I've done, and I, I I share them my own struggles at at that age. And I, and in my twenties, especially, uh, and I tell them, listen, uh, we're going to talk about real conversations here. We're not going to, I'm not going to give you a fake Thing. I'm not going to preach to you. I'm going to share my failures. And I think that vulnerability, whether it be with uh, trying to influence a 17-year-old male to become a better man, um, to, to move away from his selfish habits, or if it's trying to convince a 47-year-old executive um, to change his leadership philosophy or her leadership philosophy, I think that something beautiful happens when you're vulnerable. And it's some, when you go open up and you actually, um, I actually, when I'm, I, sometimes to make a point, I'm actually with a, a marker, ball marker, I actually start writing on my hands to show them, listen, I have many wounds. I have many mm-hmm. flaws. Some are healed. Some are still ongoing. But it, obviously I share this in an appropriate way. I don't like overshock people <laughs> in the first meeting yeah. with, wow, this guy is like bleeding all over us. <laughs> right. <laughs> it, it's, it's intelligent sharing, but I guess the key word is empathy and vulnerability. And uh, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Mm-hmm. And you have to be the one that opens up first here. I want to share some failures. And uh, when people see, wow, this guy generally, uh, genuinely is, um, uh, has, feels really bad about these failures because I let down a lot of people. Um, and the, the failures will be like, I tried it help these managers and I, I didn't, but I didn't bl- in the old version of me blamed them, not, not me. Mm. So my, my sense today, or I know here's this word again, but my, my own mentors really helped me to say, Michael, no bad, no bad students, only bad teacher. Mm. And whether you agree with that philosophy or not, the advantage of that mindset of believing that there's no bad student, only bad teacher, it really inspires me to look within and I think that's the spirit of that quote, regardless if it's 100% true or not, but it's the spirit of the quote that drives me to become a better version. So that, that really has helped me um, as I look towards even the things of how I manage my day, like practicing Kaizen on my everyday life, which I think was the, the, the intent of when the philosophy was shared, to, to practice on everyday life. And sometimes you happen to be in work 
in, your, <laughs> in those eight hours or nine hours that you're in work. Oh, while you're here, you might as well practice this thing called Kaizen here as well. So it doesn't end when you uh, leave the workplace. It's something beautiful that you can use to uh, help your children. It's something beautiful you can do to improve your relationship with your, your, your spouse. It's something beautiful you can use to get you closer to God or whatever you believe in. It, it's something beautiful that can help us become better human beings and help more people. So that, that's, it, it actually, I, it, this is a love affair, really. This is driven to how can we help more people fall, fall in love and use this mythology to get, grow deeper in love and do more things for humanity. Yeah. Sorry, I talk too much. The more no, I talk, the right. Well, I mean, you're, you're, you're prompt. I mean, it's, uh, there's a lot of thought starters in what you're saying there. And, and yeah, I think, you know, this idea of, um, it's even if you don't, present yourself as an expert, you often get introduced that way. And, you know, I, you know, as a, as a speaker or a consultant and, you know, that, that being in that expert trap or even the perception of that, I think leads to an understandable uh, defensiveness on the people uh, in the audience or, or the people that you're there to help. I'm thinking of um, Ed Shine uh, in his book, Helping, where he talks about the dynamic of, you know, even when somebody asks for help, they're lowering their own sort of personal social status. That That's a humbling yeah. thing to do and it requires some strength, but like, okay, I've asked for help and, uh, I, you know, it's inevitable someone's going to feel bad. And, and imagine the same thing can happen if someone's being presented with a helper. I'm like, well, oh gosh, all right, well, I, you know, can feel, feel a little bad. And, and, and Ed Shine's advice is, you know, the first thing you need to do as a helper is to try to lift that person back up a little bit. And what, what I hear you saying, I'm not saying it's bad, is, you know, you humbling yourself and maybe kind of lowering isn't the, the right word exactly, but, you know, bringing you a bit, I think, I'm curious if you could elaborate on this, on the idea of one way or another, kind of getting yourself back on the same level so that the person who in, at least in principle needs help is, is going to be less defensive, more open. What, what are your thoughts there? Oh, I, I really agree with what you said. Uh, there's, um, we, there is before you open your mouth, let's say, let's use that example of you being introduced, whether it's on before you go on stage or before you go into a coaching um, engagement, you've been introduced to a management team or, or a manager that you need to help. Before you even open your mouth, they're looking at you. There's perceptions of what this guy is. Um, and it's a human. It actually comes from our survival brain where we, it's the, the, stat, the survival brain looks for status. Is this person higher or lower or the same level of status? Uh. Uh, because we have to maintain the, the status quo. We can't upset it. Um, and it, it's, um, it's helping people let go of those, those uh, limiting beliefs that society gives us, especially... Um, if you think you're in a lower status than someone else, you will be, behave inferior. You may not subconsciously do this. You may not consciously do this, but subconsciously that's what's happening. And um, I'm very aware of that, that I'm in a culture where um, I was not born in this country. I, I don't look like the local population here. And there comes with that a stereotype that I, when they see me, that I'm in a certain social class. And that's, heartbreaking for the if we cannot continue in the in our relationship if the people have that 
um, false belief about these social classes. So I spend a lot of time, and one of the reasons I can, I can learn and I can speak the language here is to show them, here's the evidence. I'm speaking your language. I'm not, uh, I'm not better than you. I'm not, uh, I'm not, a, I'm not trying to, I'm trying, uh, in a way, I guess I like what you said. I'm trying to get them to see that we're all together in this. Mm-hmm. And I, I, sometimes I use spiritual examples like, you know, God has no grandchildren. He only has children. Therefore me and you were brothers and sisters. We're on the same boat here. Mm. And uh, being the first one to share my flaws um, is something that shocks them because they're not expecting that. And I, I think that's, that's something that really creates a really beautiful um, dynamic. And I know before this call, we talked about, you know, uh, that that's happening in hospitals around the world, in the, especially in the Western world about, you know, the doctor is on a certain class and those non-doctors, let's call them nurses or any other staff, they're lower down the pecking order. Therefore, their opinion is of less value. And that's, if people, we end up using these terms, but it's so dangerous to, we can't have effective relationships. We can't have effective teams if these perceptions about classes exist, whether it be race classes, whether it be um, male, female, or whether it be um, you know, professional classes. It's, um, there's extreme danger with that. And uh, one of my favorite things when I do Kaizen events is to see members of the front line. It's just when they come up with ideas, it's, it makes my day. It makes me so proud. Just not, for, <laughs> not look at what I did, but look at the power of linear. Look how beautiful this is. Someone who has been disrespected because um, he, he never felt his opinion was uh, of, of worth. So he felt like a, a second or third class citizen. And he, he never went home to his family to boast about his work achievements. But now look at him. Look at, look at this beautiful thing that's happening. And it's, it's a great joy to help people break free from that because for so many people, I would say 80% of people that's on the, listening to this, it's their limiting, but then the thing that's holding them back from a massive breakthrough in their life right now is there's some limiting belief they're holding on to. Um, and that's different for everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, even right now, this limiting beliefs that I'm holding on to that's holding me back from a massive breakthrough. So I've spent a lot of time in my coaching world, influencing world, and helping people identify what is those limiting beliefs, especially in the early stages. If you can help someone let go of those limiting beliefs, wow, you're going to have a, an amazing relationship with that person. And they're going to just, you're going to be able to increase your influence a hundred times because that person, you've given that person so, that, that person has given so much, got so much value from you because it's like a heavy weight that they've been carrying sometimes for years and you're the guy that not takes the weight off them, but talks them, guides them in a way where they take the weight off themselves. And it's a beautiful thing. So I'm really an advocate that of at the beginning of those relationships, how to help that person. How can you help that person identify their limiting belief and let it go? It's, it's a beautiful thing when it happens. Yeah. So I'm curious to, to um, you know, hear some more thoughts on, on the idea of, limiting beliefs. And yeah, as, as we talked before, uh, we started recording here, uh, you know, I hear a lot of limiting beliefs in healthcare. There are limited beliefs about people lower in the hierarchy being afraid to speak up. And I'm not blaming them for being afraid. I mean, you know, but that, that fear 
is real. Um, and and I, I hear limiting beliefs of, you know, people looking at challenges in healthcare, whether it's infection rates uh, in hospitals or other problems that cause harm or, you know, people look and say, well, that's not solvable. I'm like, well, if, if once people have jumped to that conclusion, it's not going to get solved. Um, yeah. And, you know, I'm not the type of person who, um, you know, I don't spend a lot of time on the other end of the spectrum that says, you know, well, if you dream it, you can do it because I mean, I think having a dream is a good first start. Yeah. Um, but I think something like, you know, reducing, you know, significantly reducing hospital infections isn't a dream. It's a very possible accomplishment. And, and, you know, people could be inspired by others and, and open their eyes. But a lot of times, like, again, those, those limiting beliefs or what I would call kind of the, you know, the self-defeating, self-fulfilling prophecy of, well, what can, what can we do about that? Like, I hear that quite literally, you know, it's always a red flag when I hear people in hospital talking about a problem and, you know, people sort of then say, well, what are you going to do? And they want to move on. I'm like, well, what, what, well, what we could do is try to solve that problem. So what, what, in your experience, coaching individuals or, or looking at others, I mean, are there certain most common limiting beliefs? Is that very individualized? I mean, how, how would you elaborate on that? Well, I think I would classify limiting beliefs into two. Um, the limiting beliefs that says I'm not worthy um, so that they don't, they're not deserving of, of greatness or whatever, the next level. Or, uh, and this could be classic that they feel second class. So they're not worthy. They're not, oh, I couldn't go there. I, I could never give, I could never apply to be a manager because I'm not worthy enough. I'm just, I'm just from this area of the world. I've just got this degree. I didn't go to that school, whatever. But it's a feeling of not being worthy. And the second one category, um, these are both extremely dangerous. Um, unworthiness and powerlessness, that they don't have the power. Uh, they can't help them, themselves. Help, learn helplessness, as I know this, uh, the field of positive psychology. Yeah. These are all heartbreaking, absolutely yeah. heartbreaking, because I believe that you know, the whole uh, turnaround or transformation is really 80% on the behaviors and mindsets and the, the 20% on the, on the tools and the techniques. So what has worked for me um, in my own journey of changing my limiting beliefs? as well as influencing others, stories, stories, stories. Mm-hmm. And what I found extremely powerful is st- when they hear stories, let's say, uh, I don't know, her name is, let's call her Jane. <laughs> Jane is got a limiting belief. To Jane may, con- may not connect with Mark because maybe, I don't know, there's an age difference or there's a career difference or Mark is from this state, she's from this type of family. But if you could present stories to this woman, this, to Jane, about people in a similar, there's two scenarios, in a similar situation to hers, where they had the similar background, but yet, despite those, were still able to become successful. And, and, and we can use work examples, uh, despite, if we were to use comparative hospitals, despite the situation, we're still able to uh, turn around um, the infection rate to transform their, their clinical operations, mm-hmm. or even better, even better than that example is to find a hospital or an individual that was even worse yeah. than them, was even worse than their circumstances. And those stories are the living proof that this is possible. 
And uh, what I found is that I, I really, and I, my ignorance, but the younger version of me didn't get this. Mm. I kind of uh, was mocking towards inspiration. Um, this is my ego, my arrogance that I didn't, I didn't understand. But insp- we cannot underestimate the importance of the inspirational story, whether it be bringing your executives to another hospital, to, uh, ideally who was even worse, had a worse um, experience than uh, their own hospital. And you just get perspective. That's uh, Traveling the world has done for me when I've experienced poverty, uh, when I've uh, well observed poverty, haven't experienced it. That's an important distinction. But observing um, so many people, heartbroken things happened in the, in the past. and But how they, even despite of those circumstances, I'm talking physical disabilities and talking horrible things, that they were still able to overcome, stable able to achieve. So whether that we look for those stories in the individual overcoming adversity or organizations overcoming adversity, those stories delivered authentically um, by people involved have, can have a massive impact in helping your targets let go of those limiting beliefs. I, I really believe in that that could be a practical tip that can help the readers Listeners, sorry, readers. Yeah, uh, listeners to this uh, podcast. Sure. Well, and uh, there's a lot. I mean, again, a lot that you say there. Um, a lot of great thought starters, and you know, I'm reminded of um, something I've, I've just been reading recently. Uh, there's a, a psychologist, Robert Moore, who um, was a guest on on the podcast episode 153. He's written, you know, from a psychology and brain science um, standpoint, written two great books about kaizen. And, you know, trying to avoid triggering um, the fight or flight instinct when, um, you know, trying to lead change with individuals and an organization. And I've reconnected with Bob and and we'll we'll have him on um, the podcast again soon. His most recent book, which came out just uh, maybe two years ago, is called Mastering Fear. And I I share this because you you might be interested in in this, Mike. Um, You know, he said, if you look at, studies of um, successful people and all uh, you, you may reject this you know, in, in humility, but I'll, I'll put you in the category of successful people. Successful people tend to use the word fear more than the average person. So like a lot of times, you know, he, he writes about how it's become popular to talk about stress. It's like, well, yeah. really, you know, like, you know, stress to me that that's a reaction and that successful people embrace fear and rather than trying to um, stifle it. They're not ashamed to say, here's what I fear, here's what I'm afraid of, and that they, they reach out to others for help. You know, more, um, um, Bob, um, you know, says that the only healthy response to fear is to reach out to somebody else for help, because you'll notice children do this quite naturally. And then as we get older, you know, we're sort of socialized to not do that. It's shameful um, to yeah. say you're afraid. And the two things that he says, you know, all fears sort of boil down to two categories. And, and you touched on this a minute ago, Mike, you said fear of here, let me just pull up the exact language, um, uh, a fear of not being worthwhile. So that's what you said about I'm not worthy. Um, and then the second fear is, is losing control, which could also mean losing power, losing financial freedom. And that if someone's upset or being defensive or, you know, that it usually comes back to one of those two fears so we can be empathetic and try to understand where that's coming from. Yeah. 
Uh, oh, that's beautiful. That, that's really been, uh, I, I absolutely agree. That's uh, what, even when I did the, in, in the book I wrote, uh, I talked about the importance of morning rituals yeah. and through my personal experiences and the research that I did, this is a, an amazing thing you can do for yourself and for others that you love to, is to practice a morning ritual that an intentional time when you start your day, whatever you call it. But then I started, you know, I'm not the first person to, to talk about this. Um, many other people have said this before about the importance of this. So I, I reversed engineers and I go, okay, why would someone not do this? Mm. And I came up with seven possible reasons or words that come out of people's mouths when they would reject the idea of a morning ritual. And you know what, Mark, this is amazing. When I peeled back, I didn't expect this. This is through writing. It wasn't that I had the idea when I, before, it was actually through the writing process. I realized, wait a second, there's one word here at the core of every single one of these excuses. And it's all, it was just one word. It was fear. Yeah. It was yeah. all fear. And I, I really like the way that you phrased it because losing control is a feeling of powerlessness. So that's really, yes. I absolutely agree with that. Yeah. So I, I thought you would appreciate um, Dr. Moore's uh, perspective there and, um, you know, keep an eye out. Hopefully we'll record um, that podcast soon. But, you know, as, as, as we wrap up, um, you know, this, I, let, let's, let's do this again um, sometime uh, sooner than three years because there's a lot we could um, talk about. Um, you, you mentioned your book earlier, The Messy Way. Could you uh, give you an opportunity to give a little bit more explicit a plug for the book, what it's about, where people can find it, things like that. Yep. Um, this is my passion project, uh, I guess. It's on Amazon. I, I would love for people to take a read. It really is about how you can become a better leader by becoming a better version of yourself. And life is so short. It really is. I, I don't, we shouldn't have to wait till tragedy hits our life to make to have these conversations we shouldn't wait till someone we love is going through illness or dies because this is reality this this happens and i just want people to 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 embrace the, the journey to become a better version of themselves because just the thought of living this fear of living uh, with regrets at the end of my life is such a driver for me uh, that I, I i don't want people to to the to experience that. So I, I wrote the book to, as a guide to help people make personal change. And it's true that the, 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 the technique or practice that has helped me make the biggest leaps is establishing this morning ritual. So in the book was never designed to be a, this is what you should do book. I, I wrote it from a perspective of this is, um, we know in most cases, <laughs> as is human nature, we know what we need to do. Uh -huh. um, right. it's, it's how we struggle in. The book, uh, the messy way is actually an acronym for, it stands for something. It's not about the football player, even though I respect the guy, uh, but it's, it stands for meaning, uh, ease, social circle, setback ready, and incentives. And these are five core building blocks of behavioral change. And um, those, depending on the change you want to make, leveraging those five things, even better, leveraging all those five elements is like five levers can significantly, significantly increase your chances of actually making the change happen, um, making it a reality. Because like, the evidence is overwhelming. We suck at change. 95% of the people listening to this are, are really bad at personal change. I, I'm one of them. I put my hand up. I'm one of them. I'm not a, 
and I'm a guru here. I'm one of the, and I, I just wanted to give people a method that was easy to follow. And going back to my, something I said earlier, I think one of the best ways to show these methods is through stories. So actually the heart of the book is not me vomiting about the, the theory, but it's actually three characters uh, inspired by real people, uh, three characters that actually um, live this method for three months and they share what went well and what they could have done better. And I, I think those three stories are by far the most valuable part. I, I don't want to give another management theory or, or change theory to people. I want to give people the, the, a way that they can apply and experiment within their own life. So it's, it's my, in my passion project and I would love for more people to check it out on Amazon and well, Mike, yeah, I, I hope people uh, will go check out the book on Amazon, The Messy Way, M-E-S-S-I. Um, how, do you have a, a main website? How could people reach out to you uh, to, to connect, um, to, to, to talk to you, to learn more, possibly have you be a coach? Where can people find you? I'm in the Philippines. Come to the Philippines. <laughs> uh, I, I love this country. Um, there's not a offer in the world that would make me leave this country. And I mean that, and that's not being arrogant that I'm, I haven't met it in life, but I, I'm here for the foreseeable future because I believe in this country and its potential. So I'm, I'm really happy here, but please reach out online. Um, I do, I'm overwhelmed with messages from Filipinos every single day. And this is not to boast. I get over a hundred messages a day because of the advocacy stuff we do with empowering Filipinos and our, our or with numerous viral videos. So, but I'm, I'm happy. I'm, I really do intentionally make a lot of time um, connecting with people over video and messages like this. So please just mikegrogan.ph or just type in Mike Grogan to Facebook. You'll see all the videos we have there. Um, on YouTube, you can get us as well. Yeah, there's, there's so many ways to get in touch and I'd be happy in any way to, to share with folks what I've learned. And of course, um, if anyone wants to come to the Philippines, please, you've got a friend in me. You've got an, a crazy Irish guy over here that would love to <laughs> show you guys around. It's a beautiful part of the world. So, um, yeah, and that's an open invitation to you too, Mark. I hope you and your, <laughs> sure. your family decide to, you know, if you're ever in Southeast Asia, spend some time here. 7,000 islands to choose from. So it's pretty <laughs> tempting. Yeah. <laughs> Well, hopefully, uh, hopefully we'll be able to do that. So um, again, our guest today uh, has been Mike Grogan. Mike, uh, pleasure talking to you. Thank you for sharing, um, you know, uh, honest, humble reflections and, and some of the things you're thinking about and sharing with people. Uh, it's quite helpful and uh, really enjoyed getting to uh, talk to you today. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Mark. God bless you all. Thanks for listening. This has been the Lean Blog Podcast. For lean news and commentary updated daily, visit www.leanblog.org. If you have any questions or comments about this podcast, email mark at leanpodcast at gmail.com.